podcast with James and Jane. Hey, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run, as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Well, today we are talking uh, with our lovely guest, Laura, all about nutrition and its relationship with work. Wow, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I know that, you know, nutrition plays a big role in my ability to function and how I feel and all that stuff. And I, I'm looking forward to learning about what that means um, for the workplace and what lessons there are from that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, obviously, I spent a couple of decades working in sport. And uh, I worked particularly through the period of elite sport, beginning to really recognize the importance of nutrition and nutritionists being employed by the organizations I worked in. And because we shared the same canteen and things like that, we kind of learned quite a lot by sort of being alongside the athletes in their journey. And um, it just, it fascinates me that it's now completely accepted that to be a performance athlete you really need to balance your nutrition and the times and the places and what you eat and how you eat and how much you eat of what in order to perform brilliantly. And yet it feels like we're really only beginning to grasp that in other work fields. Yeah. Just on that, interestingly, um, in the last place where I was fully employed, the top 200 um, got nutritionists um, in the organization to support them with all of that kind of stuff, because that was seen as a, as a competitive advantage in the workplace as well. Um, which is interesting. So it's clearly moving into that place. So it's really funny you say that because my first brain point. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> first that is brain. A brilliant. Sorry. My first brain point, you know, my first thought in my brain is okay. Of course that's a brilliant perk, but what does top 200 mean? How is oh, that? Well, we could have a whole different conversation about that. We could, but yeah, I th- actually, I, you know what, um, I've got to be honest, I think looking back on the places I've worked, so where I worked at that particular place, we, um, we used to get discount, like it was, it was a subsidized canteen and it was, it was designed for the athletes, but we were able to access it too. And I would say my, my eating was probably both at its healthiest right. and also at its most considered, if you get what I mean, like yeah, I, because yeah, most- it was labelled and it was labelled appropriately like, you know, energy boost or post, post-match post meal. And so yeah. genuinely you would play sport at lunchtime and then you would go and eat like what proper professional athletes was. And it was oh, great. brilliant. Great. Yeah, it was really good. Okay, well, let's get into this conversation and see what actually happens um, with nutrition and what it means for us in the workplace. Okay, so we are in the main body of today's podcast, um, which is all about uh, nutrition and, and how nutrition supports us in the workplace and in our own lives. And we've got a great guest. We're speaking to Laura today. Um, Laura, before we actually get into the conversation, could you introduce yourself and say a little bit about yourself and your background to the audience, please? Sure. Yeah. So hi, um, James and Jane. Thanks for having me on today. Um, I am a registered nutritionist based in Edinburgh. Um, so... What that means is basically I'm a registered nutritionist with the Association for Nutrition, which is the independent regulator for registered nutritionists. Um, I studied nutrition up at Aberdeen University, where I did my undergrad 
master's and PhD in public health nutrition. And I've worked in a variety of roles since then as a nutritionist. Um, I did an internship at WHO looking at obesity policies across Europe. Um, I've worked with kind of uh, retailers, supermarkets on their uh, meal campaigns and uh, kind of promotions. I've done reviews of evidence um, on various things like red meat and looking at diet around pregnancy. Um, and then recently, more recently, I worked at the Scottish Food Innovation Centre, where I was helping food companies develop new products and improve the nutritional content of their products. And then four years ago now, I set up my own business offering nutrition writing and workplace wellness and individual nutrition advice. So I'm, I'm really passionate about ensuring the public can access evidence-based nutrition because there's so much mixed messages out there on nutrition. So I actually volunteer as a rep for the Association for Nutrition in Scotland, and I help set up a, a regular Twitter chat where registered nutritionists and other nutritionists and health professionals can discuss and share information on different nutrition topics. So yeah, really passionate about getting the right messages on nutrition out there. That's excellent. And um, there are lots of uh, words popping up there that we like, you know, the whole <laughs> evidence-based things there. We like the Twitter chat. We think um, uh, it's, it's really pleasing to, to hear some of the work that, that you're involved in. And what a time to be in the public health space as well. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. Um, before we sort of get into some details, I'm going to ask a, a really basic question um, just to start the conversation going. What is nutrition? I mean, what are we speaking about when we're speaking about nutrition? Yeah, well, great question. And it's, it's, it covers quite a wide range of things. So I guess essentially nutrition is a science and it's the science that looks at nutrients and other substances in foods in relation to how they impact the human body. So, for example, what effect they have on growth, on health and disease, as well as how we actually use those nutrients, how they uh, are absorbed and metabolized and digested. But of course, we don't actually eat nutrients, we eat foods. So nutrition also considers the foods and different combinations of foods or diets and dietary patterns, um, and also how uh, we're influenced in our food choice. Um, so how the environment might affect what we what foods we choose and the availability and affordability of foods and even marketing and the influence of what our friends eat as well can all influence our food choice and dietary patterns so it nutrition actually covers quite a wide range of things and and there's actually five different specialisms in when you're a, a association for nutrition registered nutritionist you can specialize in in public health nutrition, which is what I do, or in sports and exercise, or nutrition sciences, or food science, or even animal nutrition, which oh, is wow. um, really quite a fascinating area that I know nothing yeah. about, to be honest. But Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Um, I did listen to someone the other day uh, speaking about the advertisement of Percy Pigs claiming <laughs> the, you know, the juice content in Percy Pigs and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting how um, how influenceable we are as individuals when it comes to nutrition, particularly in those moments when we are maybe tired or hungry or, you know, not at our best. Those little yeah. things might nudge us towards decisions that we secretly know aren't good, right? I mean, you know, we, it's, we can justify a lot to ourselves. Um, when when we do consume things, right, when, when we ingest uh, different 
food products or drinks, and then we take on these different nutrients. What impacts does that have on us as individuals? What you know, what are the consequences of our choices when it comes to consumption like that? Yeah, well, there's there's lots of uh, different impacts what we eat can have both physically and mentally, and some of these impacts you'll probably notice, and other impacts can go very unnoticed. So I'm sure you all know what you feel like if you have a big slice of chocolate cake or a bag of toffee or something you'll probably feel quite energized straight afterwards and have that spike in blood sugar Um, and then that will very quickly get used up and your blood sugar will plummet and your energy levels will plummet and you'll feel quite lethargic and probably a little bit ill maybe and you'll Mm. want that next hit of sugar so you'll start craving more sugary foods so I mean that's really noticeable and and likewise hydration if we're dehydrated that can hugely impact our cognitive function and our alertness um, and productivity so they're some of the more noticeable impacts but also if you add a lot of salt to your food for example or eat quite a lot of smoked fish or bacon or ham a lot of the time these really salty foods your blood pressure could uh, increase and there's no real signs of that that you might notice unless you get it measured so the first sign might actually be having a heart attack so it's it's really important to I think think about the impacts of what you're eating um, what impacts are on your overall health yeah it, would you say that it's got you know a fundamentally huge impact on our I guess life expectancy as well as our, our quality of lived experience our nutrition I mean where do you think it sits on the um, scale of things that we can control that influence our, our lived experience I guess I think it, it does have a, a really big influence and, and of course not every meal needs to be nutritionally balanced and not every day needs to be the perfect day there's no such thing as the perfect nutritionally balanced day to be honest not even nutritionists achieve that but yeah. it's over time it's kind of like the 80-20 rule as long as um, you kind of aim to eat as healthy as possible I think it it can have an impact on um, yeah your your quality of life and your longevity essentially Um, so it is yeah hugely important and also for your your mood as well so it can affect you day to day um, what you eat yeah and you you mentioned your sort of cognitive function there as well I mean do you think there's a, a strong link between nutrition and and, uh, hydration and and cognitive function? Yeah, absolutely. So we know that if we're even slightly dehydrated, then that can impact our uh, alertness and cognitive function. So if we're, our our thirst sensation only kind of kicks in when we're about two or 3% dehydrated, which doesn't sound a lot, but actually that's at the stage where you might have to read a sentence twice to kind of take it in or you might have to um it takes you a bit longer to kind of compute things or to to write an email maybe so it it can be really impactful on your productivity um and yeah time it takes to do certain tasks um which for sports people can can really have an impact it can mean like winning or losing a race essentially yeah yeah where those margins are at play I guess that that makes a lot of sense um I've I've read and listened to some interesting conversations about I guess the state of public health in in the UK and and some things around um the role of nutrition in that to some extent given you've got a bit of a background in, in public health and that side of things what's your view 
um, roughly on the current state of, I guess, health and nutrition in the UK. And and how are we doing here? I mean, are we a healthy nation? Are we getting healthier? Are we deteriorating? What are some of the big challenges we face in that space from a, a health and nutrition um, perspective? So I think, well, the, the data shows that we're not really improving our diet too much. We're um, you know, we're having too much sugar and fatty foods and salt and not enough of the fruit and vegetables essentially and fiber and, and oily fish. So we've kind of got the balance a little bit off, but there's so many different factors that impact what we eat, um, whether it's the environment we live in or advertising and how food's marketed. There's, there's all these factors kind of working against our aim of kind of trying to eat healthily a lot of the time so it it is difficult um the environment that we live in um so yeah i mean about two-thirds of adults are above a healthy weight um there's one in five adults are considered to be inactive so they're doing less than 30 minutes of activity a week um and yeah way too much sugar um and fruit and veg even, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the five a day fruit and veg yeah, yeah. message, um, but fewer than three in 10 adults are actually achieving the five a day um, on average. Um, yeah. And fiber is another one, which is not a very sexy nutrient to talk about, to be honest, but <laughs> yeah, maybe um, fiber intakes are well below the recommended 30 grams of fiber a day that we should be eating it's about 18 grams on average um and only uh four percent of women and nine percent of men actually meet the 30 gram fiber recommendation which is not a lot really that's not much is it no that's really low um you mentioned there about five a day and you've also when you were talking about some of the work you do you were talking about uh public health policy and i'm I'm really interested because i know that in different countries, they have different numbers. So some have lower or higher than five a day. And I understand that's something to do with trying to balance what's achievable sort of behavior for your population. Is that is that right? Is that something you're familiar with? And how do you how do you go about as a nutritionist thinking about, okay, well, I know what the ideal is versus I know what's actually most likely to make meaningful change? Yeah, well, the five a day was kind of based on WHO um kind of data or evidence and it was considered quite an achievable target uh, other countries you're right um, have different messages so I think in other countries like Australia it's uh, seven a day um, the recent Eat Lancet report which looks at food sustainability and um, sustainable diets recommends more like 11 portions a day that we should be aiming for so it's five a day is should be quite an achievable target but when we're not even achieving that it's, it's difficult to um kind of set it higher um so th- there's definitely a need to focus more on i think the public health messages should be more about what to add to your diet rather than don't eat this or cut down on that because that's quite negative messages so positive messages like have more fruit and veg have more whole grains and more fibrous foods um, should be kind of promoted more, I think. 
Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. So it's much easier to hear something little that you can add rather than take something away and feel like you're being robbed, even even when you're just trying to eat a bit healthier. Yeah, um, exactly. You mentioned also, sorry, you mentioned also, um, like you said, oh, not even I think you said even nutritionists don't can't do like a perfect day every day. So um, at a very high level, what what makes like a basically good diet for us? Well. Yeah, we're we're all unique, first of all. So there's no one diet that suits everyone. Um, one diet that does seem to consistently come up as being really healthy is the Mediterranean style of diet, uh, which is basically more plant-based foods. So plenty of fruits and vegetables, pulses, beans, lentils, cereals, whole grains, and some fish and unsaturated fats such as the olive oil or I guess our equivalent would be the oilseed rape rapeseed oil um, and also some uh, dairy and lean meat so it's a, a, a balanced um, diet uh, I think this there's two key words to look out for or, or to consider uh, we always nutritionists always talk about a healthy varied diet or a healthy balanced diet and it's the variety is really key. So having a wide variety of foods in your diet can help ensure that you get all the nutrients that your body needs to function well and feel well. Um, and also, if you have variety, it kind of stimulates your taste buds and you're meant to enjoy food. Um, so, yeah, having lots of variety in your diet is key. Um, and if you have lots of variety, that also uh, encourages a variety of your gut microbes, which we know now that our gut microbiome is so important for our overall health. Um, and the other keyword is balanced. So a healthy balanced diet. Um, when kind of this COVID-19 started, there's lots of people talking about how to boost their immune system, which is not something you want to do. You want to support your immune system. Um, but not kind of override it or boost it too much because everything generally works better in balance and our body is consistently working to balance our blood sugar our salt levels our um, fluid levels so any extremes are best avoided so it's balance is key um, and variety i would say that makes total sense and just one more on this kind of area for me because you mentioned that we're all different and i certainly um find that the person I share a house with we, we're at our best and healthiest eating quite not massively different diets but there's definitely variation I think when we feel at our at our best and like we're eating a really healthy balanced diet and kind of particularly in around like the amount the, the amount of dairy we and meat we eat for example um how, what's the best way that someone can start to get familiar with with their differences and what's working for them are there, are there, are there things that you suggest people do to start to get familiar with the diet that might best suit them? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, everyone is different and what your best friend or your flatmate eats might not necessarily suit you because everyone's different in terms of genetics and, um, yeah, different age and activity and whatnot. So I think something that's good to do is a bit of mindful eating and just getting more in tune with, what foods make you feel better uh, or how foods are making you feel and um, it, a lot of the time we kind of eat on the run or don't really notice what we're eating we we make I think I read somewhere that we make about 200 dietary choices each day but we're only conscious of, of, of about 20 of those choices so one of the things is kind of just 
even setting your uh, alarm on your phone for 60 seconds when you sit down to eat and just having no distractions and focusing on what you're eating and do you are you liking the flavors you, the textures smell um and just fully focus on how that food is making you feel as well um, and whether you're satisfied or feeling full or still hungry um so just getting more in tune with with food yeah that's interesting and uh, just as a little side side uh, reflection here while we've been listing all those possible things to eat i've gotten quite hungry i didn't really expect <laughs> that as, as a byproduct of this but I'm like fruits and vegetables and fish and blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, um, I, I'm sure we'll manage that. I've got a big bowl of fruit next to me, so maybe I'll, I'll tuck into that. Um, if, we, if we kind of move a conversation on and think about nutrition and the workplace, we know that some of the big challenges that people face in work at the minute are um, to do with stress and mental health and anxiety and, and things like that. What role does nutrition play in, in our relationships and our, our levels, sorry, our relationships with stress and, and mental health and our, our levels of um, stress and mental health, our well-being? Yeah, I think it, it can play quite a big role. Um, one, because stress impacts or can impact what your dietary choices are and what you might be craving. And the other way around is that what you eat can help you manage stress a little bit better sometimes not all the time but um so it's a two-way uh relationship so yeah in, in times of stress our bodies have an increased need for nutrients um but due to the stress our stress hormones being released means that um we often crave the sugary types of foods if you yeah. like so um, it can be kind of counterproductive. Um, so yeah, there's there's certain nutrients to kind of look out for when you are stressed and making sure that you get enough of. So more kind of um, the whole grains, fruits and veg, and making sure you get enough protein as well um, should help you manage stress a little bit better. Yeah, I know that when I'm stressed, I, I want to um, drink more coffee. Uh, eat more chocolate, all that kind of stuff. That's where I go when I'm stressed. But it sounds like that's probably the worst thing to do. Is that fair? It's it's not the best, yeah, because um, coffee generally won't do much for your stress levels. But um, yeah, it's, it's something to be aware of and and kind of work around and find the best strategy for you. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, another big fact. Uh, that we need to deal with at work is the sort of energy levels that we have. And I know that these sort of come in and out over the, you know, the day, right? I mean, so, you know, you, you have different peaks and trough in, in, uh, troughs in your energy over the course of the day. How does our nutrition level relate to that? Um, so, like, you know, do the types of things that we eat give us levels of energy that are sustained for higher or, or should we eat uh, more frequently? Or, or what's the best way to balance our energy in the, in the workplace? Yeah, so our, our body's preferred source of energy, our body and brain's preferred source of energy is from carbohydrates. So we need carbohydrates um, to provide energy. Uh, but obviously there's different types of carbohydrates from your simple sugars or your cakes and biscuits right through to more complex carbohydrates from vegetables or whole grain foods or oat cakes, that type of thing. Um, so ideally what you want is to... Um, not kind of spike your blood sugar 
too much from eating all these refined sugars, which anything that goes up has to come down. Um, and if it goes up quick, it will plummet. And then you'll start craving more quick fixes to get it back up again, which is more sugary foods. Um, so ideally, you want to have uh, slower release carbohydrates, which tends to be the whole grains and the um, kind of vegetables and um, more complex carbohydrates. So um, interestingly, everyone naturally feels a little bit tired after lunch, about kind of two or three o'clock. You probably yeah, for sure. experience the afternoon slump, yeah. which is completely normal. It's just our circadian rhythm that we are naturally on. Um, but there are ways to kind of combat that slightly about you know, what you eat for lunch, um, making sure it's got um, a protein uh, food in it and lots of kind of vegetables in it as well will help uh, prevent that um, afternoon slump. So yeah, there's there's healthier ways to get kind of carbohydrates. Um, a lot of people kind of uh, skip the carbohydrates or, or exclude them even um which is not a great idea because if you exclude the carbohydrates uh one of the side effects is because you're not getting that energy uh is feeling really cranky and and um maybe a little bit short-tempered so it's not the kind of thing you want in an office environment yeah that definitely happens for me if if i if i don't eat enough um carbs i'm just not a nice person for anybody really (laughs) especially not for myself um so it sounds like there's some stuff that we can do uh, in terms of eating that more slow-releasing um, energy food that'll, that'll help us balance over the course of the day and, and maybe eating more um, uh, sensibly at lunchtime would help us through things like an afternoon slump. Um, where do you stand and what are your thoughts on things like our ability to control our diet in the office? Um, so I, I know a lot of us aren't in workplaces at the minute, but you know, quite often there are uh, biscuits in meetings or, or people bring in donuts or... Uh, cakes or, or we've just got this sort of shared eating space that makes it a bit hard um, to influence what we consume in the workplace. Do you have thoughts on that and, and things we can maybe do to change that if we need to? Yeah, it can be so difficult when, you know, staff members bring in a cake or or you have somebody's birthday in the office and you all have to celebrate and there's always cake or donuts or um, these sweet treats to tempt you. Um, I think it's it's a good idea to if you, if you do work in an office uh, situation to have a conversation or start a conversation to see what the views are of the staff to see if they actually like having this cake around in the the staff room uh, on view at all times because um, there's an interesting recent study done I think it was the University of Chester where they looked at over a thousand UK office workers and they actually found that the vast majority wanted less cake in the office. And the most popular frequency for most respondents was um, once a month maximum. Yeah, yeah. I'd be on that side of yeah. things. And then when I was in there, and there was like something every day, right? Like, I just don't want to have to say no to people all the time, I guess, is what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always a birthday uh, uh, kind of celebration, but some of the time you could celebrate everyone's birthday on one day of the month and just have it once a month type of celebration. Um, so I think it, it's a good idea to do even an, an anonymous survey with staff members to get their views and uh, on what kind of refreshments that they want, even in staff meetings. Um, I know I get frustrated going to the business network and meetings some of the time and uh, the offerings of food is not always 
the healthiest. Um, but still, I, I always seem to end up with a hand reaching out and, and getting the, the pastry um, when I, I don't really want it, but it's just there. But um, it's frustrating sometimes to see. I, I just wish that networking meetings would be a lot healthier offerings. It's so funny, isn't it? Because I, I was telling James before we did the podcast uh, to talk to you that I um, reduced my sugar quite a lot a while back and yet still brought cakes for a big um, celebration in the office for meetings for other people. And I'm baffled. I couldn't tell you why I did that, but I know that it was just so hard as a routine. So it's it can be really hard to change, right? Um, and I guess there's actually probably quite a lot of people out there who'd like to improve their nutrition or, or their diet and their related health. Why, why do you think it is so hard? And are, are there any general tips that can help people stick to improvements they make? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is really difficult to make these changes because we've formed these habits over years, potentially. So what I would say is it's it's good to focus on just one or two small changes at a time, because any change that you make in what you eat requires a conscious effort, which will take a lot of energy um, in the beginning until you eventually get used to it and it, it forms a habit, which means that it's an unconscious kind of non-effort so uh, a lot of these kind of fad diets or, or uh, quite extreme diets require a lot of changes all at once and it's just too much to do and they're, they're not sustainable so I always say to my, my clients just focus on one or two and work with them to decide what it is they're going to focus on and just yeah make small changes and it will gradually build up That's really helpful. Um, and it's hard sometimes because you just decide you're going to do something about it and you want to fix everything. But sometimes fixing one or two things is a really great starting point to sort of setting you on the road to success, I guess. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier briefly, like a couple of sort of the, I, I don't, I, I really don't want to use the word trends, but more common specific diets. One of those recently, particularly in the UK, has been the vegan diet, which seems to be well, certainly from what I see on the high street, catered for a lot more than it used to be. And seems I seem to know more people who have it anecdotally. Um, what, what are your thoughts on vegan diet? Is it, is it a healthy thing? Should we, should we all just be eating more veg anyway? Yeah, well, like any diet, a vegan diet can be really healthy or it can actually be really unhealthy. So I think any diet that is restrictive in terms of cutting out food groups increases the risk of nutrient deficiencies and with a vegan diet you are cutting out all meat fish eggs dairy which are really these are foods that are nutrient dense and contribute to a huge range of nutrients that the body can absorb really easily um, so i think it, it's definitely possible to have a, a healthy balanced vegan diet that provides all the the nutrients that you need but it does require good awareness of key nutrients that may be more difficult to obtain in a vegan diet but um yeah it definitely can be healthy and i think um we we definitely need to eat more fruit and vegetables and plant-based uh foods so pulses and, and grains and lentils um so yeah i think a vegan diet is not necessarily for everyone um there are some people who are just not genetically suited to a vegan diet um so it's important to find the right diet for you and what you eat doesn't have to be labeled i don't think um but 
definitely more plant-based um, foods we should be kind of focusing on uh, for, for healthier eating. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, the other one, I, I've, seeing as we've got a nutritionist in the house, um, the other thing I'm really interested in is um, I, I, I'm trying to make the best choices I can as often as possible, which is kind of my approach to it, because I know it's, like you said, it's, so, it's just, it's, it's a hard and it's a constant state. But I, I'm constant, uh, I, I'm often sort of faced in the supermarket between the choice between organic or things that are not labelled organic. And I'm, if I'm really brutally honest... I'm not 100% sure I understand if 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 it matters and why it why it might matter and whether it's healthier for me. Is that something that you could share your thoughts on? Yeah, sure. So organic is is basically food that's grown or produced without the use of artificial chemicals, hormones, antibiotics, or um, genetically modified. Um, there there are some studies that have found higher levels of vitamins and minerals in organic crops which sounds great. However, there's also studies that found the opposite to that, lower levels um, of vitamins and minerals in organic crops. So looking at it from a nutritional point of view, there's not actually any significant or notable nutritional benefits from eating organic over non-organic foods. Um, organic obviously is more expensive and not everyone can afford it. So you shouldn't feel bad if you can't afford it. Um, so... Yeah, if you want to buy organic, um, I would say go for it. But I think generally just, you know, we should be eating more uh, fruits and vegetables uh, full stop, whether it's organic or not. So, um, yeah, I think something to look out for is um, if, a, if a company is, is B Corp certified, which is quite a new way of of labeling foods um so we're getting uh, some foods products are labeled with a carbon footprint but um that doesn't consider the whole process uh so b corp certified companies are companies that look at the biodiversity the water loss the greenhouse gas emissions and i think that might be something that will become even more important in the future you know what? We love that shout out. One of the people we had a conversation with a little while ago is a guy called James Perry, who's one of the founders of Cook, who do um, who are B Corp certified and do frozen food around the UK and have a, a, you know, hundreds of shops doing that. So mm-hmm. very much on on the wagon with a B Corp. That's good. Um, on the similar theme to what Jane was asking about, there, I've got a couple or one one more sort of question I want to cover, which is uh, diet foods. Right. So like, what's the story with diet food? So there's like, you know, reduced fat, this diet, that artificial sweetener, this, what, what is that all about? What, what does that actually do? And and how does it actually benefit us or or does it? Um, well, diet foods, I think it's it's more of like a marketing strategy, to be honest. Um, you don't have to choose diet foods as such. You can have a healthy balanced diet without, going specifically for uh, foods marketed as diet foods but um yeah i mean we need as i say the right balance of of proteins and fats and carbohydrates and nutrients um and the right amounts as well so um yeah there's there's i think you can do it kind of naturally without uh yeah picking these these diet foods um cool 
Cool. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, so I think that kind of brings us to the end of our time. Uh, and I think we've covered a lot of the things we're going to speak about. So just before we go, I just want to check in. Is there anything people can do to learn more about you and about the work that you do and, and your project? Yeah, sure. I've got um, a website, which is just uh, laurawinus.com, which has got all my contact details on there. Um, and uh, yeah, you can always find me on social media at the usual places. Yay. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, what yeah. time's your Twitter chat, by the way? You said you do a regular Twitter chat. When do you do that? Yeah, it, it has been monthly um, for a while. We've had a break over the summer and we'll be starting up again, um, doing it kind of bi-monthly now, I think, alternating it with um, Zoom networking calls oh, for well. nutritionists. So we're trying something new. Okay. Well, good. All right. Well, uh, that's it. So just thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much. And it's been my, my first ever podcast experience. So thanks for making it su- such an enjoyable experience. Uh, an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Laura. Okay, so you were back in the room with us. That was our conversation with Laura about nutrition. I thought we covered some really interesting stuff there. And um, the impact of nutrition on us as working uh, beings is, is, is pretty powerful. I thought there was some interesting stuff in there. Um, Jane, are there any areas that you want to reflect on that we touched on or any sort of personal reflections on nutrition that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think I think it's a really interesting one because um, like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, it's definitely becoming more of a thing in workplaces. And I guess there's there's a couple of things I want to mention and just get your thoughts on really. So I used to work in, a, in an office um, yep. and now I work from home. And what I've really noticed is how what I eat and what I need to eat or what I find, you know, most helpful to eat has changed since I worked from home. And one of the things, yeah. And one of the things that's really struck me is that I ate my meals when I worked in, when I commuted, I ate my meals based entirely on like what, when I could eat. So I had to have my breakfast before eight o'clock because I had to leave the house before eight o'clock to get to work on time. And I couldn't have my dinner until after seven o'clock because I didn't get home till after seven o'clock. Right. Yeah. And it struck me that for about a year after I worked from home, I stuck to that for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, okay. And now my my eating times would bear no resemblance, I think, to that. So I now have, I get up with, with my partner when she goes to work and mm-hmm. I'll have a small coffee and maybe a piece of fruit. But then I will have a proper breakfast, like a proper breakfast at about half 10, which is almost like a brunch. Yeah, it is. It's quite late. Um, and it will, be, it will be a proper meal. It'll be probably my bigger meal um until dinner and then okay. I, I won't have lunch but I will have like an an early afternoon sort of substantial snack I would describe it as so I might have like um a, a poached egg on toast or something like that okay. and it strikes me how much of the sort of the way that we feed ourselves and how at the times and the the, the, the types of so I I quite often have a massive salad for breakfast and I oh, know that that's yeah. not considered normal but when you're I not know, in I was workplace, about to say how strange but yeah well it is on. quite strange isn't it but without doubt, it makes me feel great for the day. I don't yeah. feel like I'm weighed down. I don't, you know, I feel like I've straight away, bang, out the gates, I've eaten the things that my body needs. And you just couldn't do that. If you commuted, you couldn't do that because, you know, it, or at least it would be very hard to do that because the energy of like physically yeah. going to work. Yeah, I was going to say your energy use is different, isn't it? Yeah, I'd be super hungry. So, um yeah, it just struck me that working from home really changes how you think about food. 
Yeah. I mean, I've noticed that I'm certainly eating a bit earlier in the evenings. Um, and like you, my breakfast has shifted outwards, but I eat my breakfast now at about 9.15. Um, but I tend to get up about six. So that, that's, you know, three hours into the day, I'll have my breakfast. Um, it sounds like you've kind of found your rhythm or, or found your, your sort of needs with your food. Well, you see, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? It's don't know whether it's I've found my rhythm, but like you say... Um, you need different energy at different times when you're working from home because you don't have a sort of big burly commute into central London. Yeah. So you don't need that energy to sort of be on top of that. And because quite often first thing in the morning, I don't see anyone. I work on something that's sort of sort of thinky, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Then um, I don't need the same kind of energy to be perky and peppy and all of that sort of thing. So I don't know if it's so much that I found what works for me or if, the, the way that the nutrition you need obviously changes depending on what you're doing with your day. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I had a couple bits to reflect on as well that popped up in my mind over that conversation and uh, a few things stuck out to me. One was around the, the points raised around hydration and the fact that our sort of cognitive function falls off um, as we become marginally dehydrated, even before we feel thirsty. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then another sort of personal reflection for me is about uh, my use of sugar. And I know that I draw on sugar and I'll do things like I'll have a can of Coke or I'll eat chocolate um, when I'm going into something where I feel I need that sort of that rush of uh, energy to, to sustain me or to, to spike me through something. Um, so that's a bit of a reflection. But, but I also know that I crash after that and my, my sort of brain functioning does decline. I'm more lethargic. I can be grumpy and all, all that stuff that any parent will know who's got children that have eaten too much. Um, and then the other little slight reflection on, on sugars and stuff is when I go through periods of not eating sugars, what I'll do is I'll then eat a piece of fruit and be like, mmm, pudding. Fruit tastes like pudding. You know, because you, you're what you're used to changes in terms of those sugars. So I think it is clearly possible to shift away from that sort of dependence on sugar in your coffee and, uh, you know, colas and chocolates and all that stuff and get the same sort of taste hit of sugar from, from natural sugars. So I think I've mentioned before, I gave up sugar. Um, I've done it a couple of times now. I've done it three times, I think. And without question, aside from the, what can only be described as incredibly moody period of a couple of days in, <laughs> yes. um, food tastes completely different. Yeah. So when I've given up sugar and when I give up sugar, I give up fruit for a very short period as well. So okay. I really, I'm trying to really, when I do it, what I'm trying to do is get rid of my sweet tooth. That's the easiest okay. way to describe it. Um, it's not really, a, and then I'll sort of start including some of the less sweet fruits back in. And what's extraordinary is it's amazing how you can taste sugar and everything when you come back. So uh, I can't eat ketchup when I've given up sugar for a while because it's just sickly sweet to me. Um, I can't, um, suddenly chocolate, any kind of chocolate under about 85% is really unpleasant. Um, yeah. grapes and melon, which are two of my favorite things, way mm. too sweet. If I've given up sugar How funny. in the last couple of weeks, they're just, they're just way, way too sweet. And I'm much more happy eating like, uh, I don't know, some maybe not too sweet berries. I'm much more comfortable okay. with that. But as soon as I start eating grapes now, and I think the other thing that's interesting is for those of us who are of a certain age, we've noticed that fruit has got lots sweeter. Okay. Um, and that's to do with the way that crops have been managed over the years. Sure. But, yeah. but it, it it's definitely, for those of us over a certain age, we've really noticed it. And um, I, certainly from my experience, 
you can do it. You absolutely can do it. Maintaining it is really tough because all it takes is, I don't know, I had like a square of my partner's chocolate yesterday, which was like a dairy milk. And it wasn't that nice, like to me, because it was very sweet. But at the same time, within about 20 minutes, I was in the cupboard looking to see what else we had. Of course, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, Any other thoughts from you? Uh, No, I just, I guess, I guess the whole episode just made me think a little bit more again, which I haven't done in a while about what I do eat and don't eat and when I drink coffee and when I don't. And like you say about sort of getting the hit, I think you described it as like when you need that kick for an episode of, of, of how much of that I wonder has become habitual for me, certainly with caffeine versus, versus how much a big pint of water would give me the same kick actually in truth. Yeah. Well, interesting. All right. Well, let us leave it there. That was our conversation all about nutrition. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, And we'll be back in another week. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Hi. Thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.